listener production. I'm going through a bit of a tough time with my seven-year-old Charlotte. She started to display signs of low self-esteem and worry. She's getting super frustrated with herself over the littlest of things. Like, I can't draw a cat and then she rips up the page or my handwriting's not neat and she starts to cry. She's become clingy. She's having bad dreams about being taken away from us. But I've also noticed that she can sort of ham things up a bit in certain situations. So I'm trying to address this issue, but I also don't want to make it bigger than it has to be. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. There is nothing more concerning than when our child feels down on themselves and is plagued by worry. Worry they're not good at something, worried about the planet, about their pets or their friendship groups. As a mum, it just rips you open and you want to take their pain away, but your attempts sometimes fall on deaf ears or even worse, seem to amplify their behaviours. How do we manage these periods when they lose their spark? How do we identify genuine issues over attention-seeking behaviour and get to that root cause? And finally, how can we best support our kids through this tricky time? Georgina Manning is a clinical psychotherapist and director of Wellbeing for Kids. She runs workshops and has created the Peaceful Kids and the Peaceful Parents Mindfulness and Positive Psychology Programs. Georgina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. When it comes to the profile that I just described, the child who worries a lot and feels anxious, in the 15 years that you've been working in this area, have you seen an increase in anxious kids? Definitely. Yeah, I've seen it um, myself personally. And then also what parents talk about a lot and reaching out for support. And I work a lot with schools and I have so many teachers saying to me, you know, in just say in 15 years that they've been teaching, that they've seen a real change over that time. Just um, a lot of kids appearing anxious, whether it's an anxiety disorder or not, but actually just seeming anxious in the classroom. So, and it's across the board. Because there certainly must be shades of grey when it comes to this, where it's mm. you've got the child that's absolutely diagnosed and might have some very serious anxiety disorders, but say my example a moment ago where I've never taken Charlotte to see anyone about this, it's kind of just appeared. Talk me through the shades of grey and and what to notice when a child first starts to appear a little bit anxious. Okay, so that's it. It's good that we clarify this sort of the difference between an anxiety disorder as such or just someone feeling anxious. So we've got to remember that when we feel anxious from time to time, that's really normal, whether we're a child or an adult or you know, like in, say, new situations, unfamiliar, um, when we've got to perform or, you know, taking on a new challenge. So that that's okay and normal. And that's, I suppose, on one sort of end of the, <laughs> the spectrum. And we know that there's difficulties when it gets more into sort of ongoing and chronic kind of feeling anxious and, and having those responses. So and then also if it's interfering with our day-to-day lives and it's stopping us, you know, living our lives fully and having fun and, you know, we're avoiding things and it's also across the board as well, like not just one thing because we yeah. can often just be anxious about one sort of little thing and, look, if we can function okay, then that's fine. Like, for example, you know, you might be scared of, say, spiders and you don't have to change that, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's more if it 
particularly with children, if it's interfering with their development and their, you know, social interaction and their, their school. And we see it quite a lot. So it's not just worrying about one little thing, it's across the board. So that's where even if it's not diagnosed as such, you'd say more that it's falling into more an anxiety disorder. So why do you think the prevalence of this has increased over the last Mm. couple of decades? Well, there's no sort of real fixed evidence or, you know, hard evidence, I should say, around this, although this is talked about a lot. And I think that there's a range of reasons. And we've got an increasingly, you know, more complex world than we did even 15 years ago. So it's fast-paced. There's not as much downtime. And a lot of parents will say this, you know, teachers will say this, you know, see kids that are really exhausted. So we're seeing kids that might go, for example, from school then to an after-school activity and then they're on the iPad or technology and then bed. (laughs) And then it's kind of like this big piece missing, which is play. So if you don't have play, then you don't wind down, just like we don't as adults. So sort of lack of that wind down, chill out time, um, you know, which is different to being on screens. Yeah. Yeah, and just that time to just relax the brain. Kids have also got social media. They're constantly comparing with each other. And then as we get, you know, if families are stressed out, we also kind of get that catchiness of anxiety and stress. Yes, it is contagious. It is very contagious. It is so contagious. And again, it's really, you know, and I really want to make a point on that. It's not to blame parents at all. It's just how it is. You know, like if if we feel a certain, you know, emotional state, the closest people to us will feel that. And there's science around that. It's not just, oh, I can pick up your energy. It's it's actually science around this. So we know it ripples out and affects others as well. So when a family presents to you with a child feeling anxious, as a psychotherapist, do you try to get to the root cause of that and work out what it is? Or do you kind of not worry so much about it and just stay solutions focused? So I mainly work in the space of sort of early intervention and prevention. So with, you know, the the workshops that we have, you know, the Peaceful Kids workshops and Peaceful Parents and so on. Um, But with the, you know, the kids, we work more in that sort of educational space, which is really empowering kids with strategies and also psychoeducation, letting them know what's happening. So they learn what's happening in the body and the brain when they're feeling anxious and, and then strategies to then cope and to manage. So I don't work so much around root cause and so on. It's really around empowering the child, skilling the child up and also skilling the parent up. So it's around normalising it as well. So when we work with kids, we work with them in, in small groups. It's great because they can normalise the sort of those feelings of anxiety they might have or worry that they have or the, you know, the big feelings that they're having. And just having that normalised is really powerful for kids. They know that they're not the only one, like they're not alone. Yeah. I absolutely love this idea of preventative because I even see it with my kids when you can nip something in the bud when it's just a little kernel of an idea or early, it's so much more powerful than having to go and mend something later on. But that actually brings me to a conundrum that I'd love to discuss as well, and that's attention-seeking behaviour as well. Mm. Do you find that some kids will recognise that when they behave a certain way and they might talk about certain things, they get a lot of oxygen and attention poured on those (laughs) things and so then they kind of amplify it? Well, definitely because, you know, kids are masters at manipulation, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, they're so good. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know, that's kind of their job, you know. And the kids love attention and they need that. It's, it's a need as well. So 
However, you know, on a more sort of serious side though, as a parent, if we respond to children more when they do, you know, are feeling anxious and we that's our one-on-one time with them, then the child will seek that out more. Yes, that's, not, yes. You know, not across the board, but often, and that's what I see. So, for example, if a child gets a lot of one-on-one when the child's got a difficulty and the parent's really tuning in and listening, and that's great that the parent's doing that, then it can give it more oxygen. And it also depends on how we respond as well to the child and what we're saying and so on. And if we stay sort of stuck in that response of only giving that one-on-one time in that, then children can learn definitely to do that. And, that, and it's not because they're putting on the anxiety or putting on feeling that worry. It's just that that's the time that they, it might only be the only time they get that one-on-one. So how do you suggest we respond if we're stuck in a bit of a cycle where our child has honed in on the fact that they're getting this attention when they talk about all this negative emotion. Sure. What's a good strategy to break that circuit? So one of the things that I love to you know, work with parents around is teaching our parents around reflective listening or just active listening skills where we tune into how our child is feeling and we don't jump into problem solving or reassuring really quickly. We just listen. So we listen to what the child's saying. We listen to how they're feeling And we reflect that back to the child. So the child feels really hurt. So, for example, a child might say, oh, you know, I'm worried about, you know, what my friends are going to say to me tomorrow at school and because I really stuffed up today with the basketball game. And we can just respond back and say, okay, so, yeah, you're you're worried about what what your friends are going to say. Yeah, mum, I'm just really worried because yesterday they said this and yesterday they say that. And we respond back with trying to name the emotion as well. So we, what you call name it and tame it. So if we can name the emotion or the feeling for the child, it actually tames the brain. So that stress part of the brain, right. which is involved in you know, the whole part of anxiety, that actually calms down because we've got someone else who understands that feeling and it's named and the brain sort of goes, oh, I can relax now. So it's kind of two or threefold really this yep. technique because we're tuning into how our child's feeling we're getting them to understand how they're feeling, we're naming it for them, and then it helps them to calm down so their anxiety is calmed. But if we jump in really quickly, which can often happen, and I know I've done this myself as a parent, and it's a natural response, but we, if we jump in and problem solve too quickly... Yeah, fix it mode. Fix it mode, because we're worried ourselves as parents. If we hear our child upset, we want to fix it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so if we can just sort of be mindful of our response and really tune in and be mindful of our child and what they're feeling and sit with that rather than trying to have the emotion go really quickly and try to fix it because often we think, oh, I don't want them to be feeling this, I have to fix it. But if we actually just sit with it and name it, not try to fix it, just name it back, Mm -hmm. really hear what's happening, you'll see kind of the energy shift in the situation or the conversation anyway because they've sort of got it all out, they feel really heard. And then if there is a problem to be solved, if they think there is, then we can move to problem solving and brainstorming. What about when you see repetitive behaviour? How can you manage that? So, for example, if a child is worried about the same thing, so the same sort of worries coming up or or every day the child's talking about different worries, we can tune in like we talked about how the, the child feels. But one powerful strategy that I like to use and teach kids is the use of a worry box and worry time. So they have a box, whether it's a tissue box or whatever it might be. And 
you have a set worry time where you can be with the child and say, okay, we're going to write down all our worries for five minutes and we're just going to clear our mind. So they have a piece of paper for each separate worry. So they write down worried about what my friends might think of me in the classroom, whatever, that my best friend's not going to talk to me tomorrow, you know, next one, uh, that they're going to laugh at me when I'm playing basketball, pop that one in. Yeah. And they just clear the mind, writing it down, popping it in the worry box. Mm-hmm. And then after that, not doing that straight before bed because sometimes it can open up these huge discussions that go on forever and kids love to do that. Yeah, don't they? <laughs> then doing a relaxing activity. It might be that and then then the shower or the you know the bath or whatever, then you know board game or whatever and then the book and bed. You know, older kids can do it as a journal and so on and then probably, you know, do it more privately. But for sort of, you know, the primary age, they can, you know, often like doing that with a parent. And so that's really powerful and because it feels like there's something done with the worry rather than just talking, 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 talking. Yeah, you can then say, okay, we've done the box. Yeah. Now we're going to pop it away and now let's eat dinner and talk about something positive. Yeah, it just sort of contains it. So it sort of brings the worry down from 24 hours a day to five minutes. So it's just, you know, knock yourself out with worrying for five minutes. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah. So then how would we balance that out if we do have the child that has been putting it on and and pouring a lot of oxygen into that? Is it just a matter of them making sure that you're spending an equal amount of time on a different topic, on a different area of their life that's positive? Yeah, that's right. So we can use this technique not just when they've got a difficulty. So it might be, you know, that really tuning in, that mindful listening to our child is they come home and tell a story about school or a friend and it's funny and you're really there, you're really present when you're talking to them about that. And because I like to call it filling their cup when we have those mindful parent moments where we're 100% focused and the child knows that because they pick up two seconds if we're not really there. We're there in body but we're not there in our mind. Mm. And we can't do this all day long, that's not practical, but we might say have 10 minutes where we're talking to our child and we're really, really present, we're intentionally present. So whatever it is, the good, bad, the negative, whatever, worries, the joys, and that's that tuning in rather only when we think, oh, you know, my child's got a problem. Oh, I better really listen now. Yeah, that's actually a really powerful tool to think about it. Like, okay, well, if in the last week I've devoted this much time to when my child is struggling, what other areas in a positive, optimistic part of their life can I put equal amounts of oxygen into and fill their cup in those areas as well. Yeah, and it can be being involved in, say, hobby or just an interest or something, whether it's, you know, they like colouring or being creative or whether they build Lego or kicking the ball. Absolutely. And again, it doesn't have to be hours and hours because it's it's not possible to do that. But even if it's, say, 10 minutes and then there's another 10 minutes or 20 minutes and we're kicking the ball and we're just completely present. Yeah, I love that. And another expert I spoke to on time management actually said that kids' attention span are approximately equal to the minutes to their age. So if you've got a five-year-old, their real attention span is about five minutes. So these quality moments don't have to be these massive gestures of a day at the zoo. It can literally just be minutes to their age. Mm. And for me as a busy mum, I find, you know what, that's manageable. I can do that. (laughs) It is, isn't it? And often it's the same, like... It's not creating more time. So, for example, we might be reading a book to our child and we're already going to be reading a book to our child, but we could be up in our heads doing our to-do list 
or we're completely intentionally focused. So we're feeling their cups and it's the same amount of time. They feel it in two seconds. <laughs> they can tell the absent-minded parent just going through yeah. the motions. So you run these amazing preventative workshops. Talk me through some of the management techniques in there, your top picks for what you think are really useful tools to help children that may have low self-esteem and feeling worried. So one of the key things which I touched on before is being able to share feelings. So sharing feelings with others and particularly with peers is really powerful. You know, it's that sense of connection and belonging, feeling like you're not the only one that has these feelings that sometimes can be really overwhelming. So getting to know how you feel is sort of the start of being able to manage how you feel. So the sharing, but also that psychoeducation of, okay, so this is how this feels, this is how that feels, and being able to share that. And then sort of moving more to self-regulation strategies such as, oh, I can feel that sense of dread or fear, anxiety, and I know where I feel it in the body because I've learnt all about it. I've learnt what happens with the heart and the brain and adrenaline and, you know, all of these, you know, in the fear part of the brain. So they know then, okay, I'm feeling this way, what can I do? And they employ a range of strategies such as yeah, self-regulation tools like deep breathing, for example. So three big, deep, mindful belly breaths mm -hmm. and then just noticing their breathing. And they can do this through, for example, breathing buddies lying down and putting a soft toy on their belly if they're little. Okay. A bit older, they could put a wheat pack or something. Yep. And just watching the soft toy go up as you breathe in, one, two, three, and then out, one, two, three. So that mm -hmm. regulation of attention and focusing on the body. So grounding techniques, mm -hmm. uh, deep breathing, and then also a range of coping strategies. So things that they can do that make them feel better. So if they feel a certain way, what can they do? And this is very unique to each child. Yeah, what, yeah. what's an example of some of those? So for example, you know, we teach kids what will make you feel better, calm yourself down or bring your energy up, either up or down. Mm -hmm. They might talk about things like having a nice warm bath or spending time with their pet or going on their hobby or spending time with their friend or talking to, you know, a trusted adult, um, kicking the ball, doing exercise and, again, there are a lot of them are body-based things as well because we know that when we calm the body down, it calms the brain down. Okay. So they're really practical and expressive sort of coping strategies that they can use. But through the programs we run, we get the kids to identify that and understand what coping strategies are and we give them a whole lot of examples and they find the ones that really work for them. Mm. And then they know that they've got those go-tos to go to as well. That could be a really interesting dinner table conversation with your kids, you know, outside of the heat of the moment, you could say, you know, what are some things that make you feel good and that make you feel calm? And you could almost get that toolkit happening. Mm. And so then in a day or two when they say, oh, I'm, I'm worried about going to school today, you can say, remember at dinner the other night, we spoke about, you know, stroking your soft toy or whatever it might be. Do you think you could use that now? Yeah. Is that how you'd use it? Yeah, that's really good. It's teaching it and having those discussions around when you are feeling calm and ready to learn, not learning them when you're in that moment. You know? mm. <laughs> so because when we're feeling really angry or really anxious, you know, it's like we call like thinking brain goes offline. So we can't, we don't think very logically. Yeah. So if we have things particularly as a visual as well, like we give cards to kids that's got their visuals on there um, of what they can do. So it's that reminder. So you, they might not feel like doing it, but they know when they do that thing, it makes them feel good, whatever that is. But some of the other strategies we use is helping kids, like empowering them to problem solve because sometimes their worries actually are real problems. Often the worries are just worries, but if it is an actual problem, yep. then we teach them to break it down, brainstorm solutions, 
and slowly have a go at approaching that thing or that problem that they're scared of or worried about. And we teach them in also in conjunction with parents to help them do that, not take over and tell the child what to do, but empower the child to get those strategies. Yeah, almost become a coach, I think. I love this idea that as a parent, you're slowly becoming that coach rather than telling them what to do, you're, you're empowering them, which is it's a lovely dynamic. Let's talk about parents and treating parents because some of your programs are specifically for parents. Can you explain why you decided to shift from kids into parents? Sure. So, yeah, so we've had the, the Peaceful Kids program going for a number of years and the Peaceful Parents program just grew just organically really out of that need of so many parents saying, hey, can I learn this stuff that my child's learning? Hey, this sounds really good. Yeah. And also, can I learn it for myself? I'm really stressed out. You know, I want to learn this mindfulness stuff. I've got an image here of all these parents with soft toys laying on their back on the floor <laughs> with the panda bear rising and falling from their stomachs. Yeah. <laughs> we don't actually do that with the parents, but that's probably a good idea. We do talk to them about that. But we do actually teach and coach the parents around mindfulness. And so mindfulness strategies, formal and informal strategies, so just sort of living more mindfully and bringing in mindful parenting strategies. But, you know, we know through research that the best outcomes for children, you know, with change or if children are having some difficulty, is to get the parents involved. We don't want to work just with a child because the way that a parent responds to their child's anxiety or responds to a child's difficulty even can make a really big difference in how the child views that problem or the difficulty or their worry or whatever it might be. It has such a huge impact. I mean, would you go as far to say it can amplify and exacerbate yep. if a parent yeah, reacts in totally. the wrong way? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's a big part of what we teach. So you talked before about coaching and we talk about coaching in that sense of, you know, staying nice and calm, you know, communicating, using reflective listening and sort of coaching from the sidelines and so not taking over, but also, yeah, not escalating because the escalating and being anxious ourselves as parents in, in how our child, when they talk about a difficulty, can make the world a difference. So they can see a tiny little problem as this massive problem that they should be scared about. And what it does is it teaches them that the world's a big and scary place. And yes, there are some things that, you know, we need, need to have some fear about in the world, but overall, we don't need to be on hyper alert. You know, the, the day-to-day life at school and so forth isn't scary. So we don't want to respond in that way. This is where I really struggle, where the rubber hits the road, because your child comes home and says, you know, mummy, I was bullied at school today. Yeah. And you say, okay, well, talk me through what happened. And there's essentially two responses that we can make besides the sort of coaching and the active listening. Mm. You can be like, oh my goodness, that is just terrible. (laughs) I am getting on the phone to the teacher right now and that's unacceptable, which is that probably that amplification. But then the other response is, oh, don't be silly. They weren't really bullying you. They were just, you know, this is normal stuff. This happens all the time in the Mm. playground and dismissing it. Sure. So that's kind of two ends of the spectrum, isn't it? Yeah. What's the middle ground to react in a situation like that? The middle ground is being able to have perspective on the situation. So this is where to have perspective as a parent, we need to be calm ourselves. Because if we if we just go straight into reactive, we've lost perspective. We're just acting from emotion. We're acting from our anxieties and our primitive part of our brain, our fears. 
which are my child's going to get bullied, for example. I was bullied. Every single day I was bullied. They're going to end up dropping out yep. of school. No friends. Um, <laughs> no friends, um, never getting a job and so forth and we catastrophize, you know. <laughs> um, we lose perspective. So keeping perspective and, and also that listening I was talking about, when we really listen rather than going to problem-solving mode, we're really listening what is it that my child's saying. So, for example, child might come home and they just want to talk to you about what a crappy day they've had and this child said this to them and called them a name and whatever and it might not actually be bullying for example it might just be this child wasn't very nice to them today at school which can happen yeah and all they want to do is just talk to you about it and have someone who really understands what it's like and how they feel yeah they don't want you to go to the school they don't want you to cause a big deal no and see what what I often say to parents is I say who do you want your child to go to as they're growing up and when they're teenagers? And, you know, parents say, oh, I want them to come to me. I'm yeah. like, okay, so if we shut it down and shut down what they're sharing by jumping to problem solving or escalating or saying, you know, that's awful and terrible and rushing and ringing the school. Obviously, there are times when we need to step in, but overall they hate that and that's so embarrassing for them. Mm. So they're going to stop, stop talking to you. Yeah, and if you dismiss it as well, they're going to stop talking to you because you haven't mm. you haven't helped them. So it really is about going into that active listening and that coaching calm frame to just have that balance, that middle ground. Absolutely. And working out, is there a problem here to actually be fixed or do they just want to tell you how bad their day was? So if we think of it as adults, right, if we have a bad day, we want to just tell our partner or our friend mm. and we just want to vent, right? Mm. <laughs> we don't want them to say, well, do this and do that and do this because we're not going to then talk to that person yeah. with our difficulties. If you think about who do we go to mm. when we're having a difficulty, we know the people that we go to, the ones that are going to really listen to us. you got to be that person for your child. That's right. And it doesn't mean about being their friend. It's about being their coach and just seeing is this a problem or are they just wanting to talk to me about it because through that talking the coaching comes out anyway because they're going to keep on coming to you so sometimes it's about pausing too and thinking okay even if this is a problem we don't need to fix this right now that the big thing is the emotion so we focus on emotion first tuning in and then problems if there is a problem to be solved. So, and when you say the emotion, the feeling. So you're trying to focus on the feeling. So I was feeling jealous. I was feeling angry. Mm. I was feeling hurt. Yeah. And I think with young kids as well, increasing that vocabulary, because my littlies basically have happy and sad and angry. That's probably their only vocab for their feelings. (laughs) And so I think it's about actually helping those kids to have other labels for other feelings as well. That's right. When we can understand how we're feeling, that's kind of halfway to managing it. Yeah, okay. So when we can name it for ourselves also. But when when children are young, they need someone else to help to name that for them because, like, you know, their vocab, like you said, can be limited. So we're helping them to understand how they're feeling and, and helping them and normalising it. Like, it's okay to have these range of emotions. The, the emotions don't and feelings, they don't stay. Sometimes they can stay for periods if we get into a mood. But it's normal and it's okay to have those and what can I do to feel better? Okay, I can talk to a a loved one and then I can use my coping strategies. Or sometimes it's the other way around. They need to let off steam and then they'll talk. But those two uh, strategies are really important. So finally, Georgina, for a parent who's sitting here listening now, feeling really worried about their child and their child is down on themselves and kind of plagued by that anxiety, what's the 
first step that they can take tonight when they get home and they see their child? What's the first step they can take to supporting their child? One of the things that I think is really important is as a parent that we get support ourselves. So we have someone to talk to. So if we're worried about our child's worry or anxiety (laughs) and we get, you know, stressed about it, we need that outlet that's not just, not with the child, okay? So that's separate. So whether that's a friend, whether it's a partner, whoever. So having that support and then the other side of support might be, you know, if you are really concerned is having a professional to talk to. You could start with a GP and talk, you know, have a chat to um, GP or then psychologist without the child first. Okay. Because sometimes parents need just reassurance that what they're doing is the right thing or what their child's displaying is quite normal Mm. and age appropriate. So sometimes just reassurance is a lot, actually. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously, like, if if their child's anxious and it's going on and on and it's really interfering with their day-to-day lives or the parent's really struggling with that, just reach out for professional help, definitely. You know, we don't need to sort of suffer in silence with this. So reaching out for help is really important. And the other thing, and we sort of touched on this before, but is keeping really calm ourselves and looking after our own well-being as parents. So if if we've got our cup filled and yeah. our resources are, you know, we've got good resources, we're going to manage difficulties a lot better. So then we're going to be staying more calm and tuning into our child and being able to manage that without ourselves sort of feeling too worried about it as well. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing is also you know, pulling back on a lot of extra stuff that we don't need to do and slowing life down. So there are some some day-to-day environmental stuff that we can change and we can tweak. You know, and often when I work with parents, we, you know, we talk about and, you know, they really come up with this sort of um, discussion is around, gosh, do I really need to be doing all this stuff with my child? They're actually really stressed out. I'm stressed out. I don't want to be tearing around in the car every day with 20 different activities. Yeah. So there are some things we can do to slow our lives down that make a big difference to the whole family and particularly an anxious child. Oh, I love these. So what you're saying is slow down, get support and talk. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you so much, Georgina. Thank you for having me. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips. Producer, Tina Matalov. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au. If you like my podcast or think other mums might find it helpful, please spread the word by sharing a link to your network of fellow mums. And feel free to drop me a line on Instagram anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Listener.